Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Vampire Chronicles cast. I am your mortal host, once again, here to discuss a book in the Anne Rice Vampire series. On this show, we will be stepping back one book to the first published novel of the series, Interview with a Vampire, written in 1976. Now, last episode, I talked about book two, The Vampire Lestat, to get a sense of origin of the central character, Lestat de Lioncourt. Now, book one will portray Louis de Pont du Lac's perspective on the vampire world he is thrust into. I will also be talking about the voodoo queen of New Orleans in the last part of the show, so stick around for that. First, I want to share something with you about books and what they can do in this time of isolation because of the pandemic. I know the pandemic's driving a lot of people crazy right now with how things are changing, going back and forth. Um, Me and my wife were sitting at a small diner, and we started talking about this story in interview. And many things came to my mind as I talked about the psychology of Louis and how he sees Lestat and Claudia. And this led into more ideas about today's show. Mainly how the characters relate to each other because basically this story has a strong theme of family in it. How does Louis perceive Claudia over time? How does this change and why? I began thinking more and more about the story that I'm going to discuss today. The depth of Louis and his troubled soul is really profound. I think him and Lestat are similar in a lot of ways. But Lestat tends to hide more of his tortured characteristic from Louis. Lestat hides many things from his companions in this book, mainly, I think, to keep power over them so they do not leave him. And with that, let's get into the book. The novel opens with the interviewer speaking with a dark-clothed stranger with green eyes. The entire story is being dictated to an interviewer, sometimes referred to as the boy, by Louis as he flashes back on his life and how he was turned into a vampire. I always like how characters are first described by Anne Rice when we first see them. Here is how Louis looks to the interviewer. Quote, The vampire was utterly white and smooth, as if he were sculpted from bleached bone, and his face was as seemingly inanimate as a statue except for two brilliant green eyes that looked down at the boy intently like flames in a skull. But then the vampire smiled almost wistfully, and the smooth white substance of his face moved with the infinitely flexible but minimal lines of a cartoon. Do you see? he asked softly. End quote. Louis goes on to tell the interviewer that at the age of 25 in the year 1791, is when he is turned to a vampire. Louis goes on to speak of his brother who was dedicated to prayer and God. The plantation that they own is outside New Orleans, and since the father has died, Louis has become the head of the household. One night, Louis's brother suddenly falls and dies for no reason. Louis goes into a deep depression. His grief and his deep sense of loss causes him to not want to live but never brings himself to any sort of suicide. He feels like he is too much of a coward to do this anyway. Louis is attacked one night as he was thinking he just wanted to be murdered. He is bled out almost to the point of death. This is the attack by Lestat. 
Louis describes seeing Lestat's eyes burning with an, quote, incandescence, close quote. How Lestat had an aura about him that he had never seen before. The most impactful line is here, quote, that ego which could not accept the presence of an extraordinary human being in its midst was crushed, close quote. I want to note that Louis is a Byronic hero. Characteristics of the Byronic hero include these, intelligent, cunning, self-aware, brooding, tortured because of a secret crime. A clear example of this kind of character would be Bruce Wayne, who really exhibits the violent characteristic of the Byronic hero. Rice uses the romantic style of the characters, talking directly to the reader. The interviewer symbolically represents us, the reader. As an artistic choice, she uses this point of view to tell the story of these vampires. Dracula by Bram Stoker uses the same style as Mina Harker reads from her diary to the reader. Instead of the eye of God presence looking down on the characters as actions take place. Rice infuses her own influences into the story as well. The Catholic imagery with Louis' brother, the setting of New Orleans, which was her hometown when the story was written, the shedding of some of the Hollywood assumptions of vampires. I laughed out loud when the boy asked Louis if he can turn into steam and go through a keyhole. Louis, Louis responds with bullshit. I forgot this is a typical power that a vampire has to turn into mist. Louis thinks Lestat returns him because he wants his plantation. Remember, Lestat's father is dying and needs lots of care and attention. We also come across Louis' duality of perception to Lestat. Louis assumes that because he is now a vampire that he is unnatural, an abomination in the eyes of God. Quote, I had seen my becoming a vampire in two lights. The first light was simply enchantment. Lestat had overwhelmed me on my deathbed, but the other light was my wish for self-destruction, my desire to be thoroughly damned, end quote. When Louis feels the most despair after Lestat kills the overseer of the plantation, Lestat comforts him like a lover. Lestat turns him at this point, thinking it will take away his guilt and pain. After Louis drinks from Lestat to complete his transformation to a vampire, he hears the pounding of drums. His heart is what he hears. Louis looks upon Lestat now as, quote, radiant, not luminous, end quote. Instead of hunting and killing humans, Louis takes up killing chickens and other animals to satisfy his vampire hunger. One thing I did notice about this novel is that Louis keeps telling the boy, the interviewer, quote, that you cannot understand or very difficult to describe, end quote when he tries to verbalize his experiences. This is very different from the novel The Vampire Lestat because Lestat could describe everything with no problem. This is the difference between Louis and Lestat. Louis also states he couldn't stand the chatter of Lestat while in the coffin with him. He found it boring. As I was reading the book, I also noticed how Louis' point of view seems to place mortality and morality in the context of everything he experiences as a vampire. The neighboring plantation belonging to the Frenier family comes under jeopardy when the youngest brother gets involved in a duel. Louis becomes friends with the eldest sister of the siblings, Babette. Now, I don't know if in this time in history in New Orleans how the laws 
pertaining to land inheritance worked. I tried to look this up and it was hard to find information. The fact that Babette is not married and never was would cause a problem, I think, with her inheriting the plantation if the son of the head of household died. Louis tries to warn Babette to get her affairs in order by disguising himself as a spirit or shadow. Lestat kills the young Frenier boy on his own, which really pisses off Louis. The biggest threat to Louis and Lestat are the slaves living on the same property as their plantation. Their voodoo beliefs actually give them courage to face what Louis and Lestat really are. I find this fascinating, that the threat of being exposed is constant in the life of a vampire, but the real clear and present danger they face are the people marginalized in this time in society, the witch doctors, the foreigners, slaves with strange beliefs. I will touch further on the subject of voodoo and how it plays into this time in New Orleans in the history section today. I want to quote this passage because I think Anne Rice really very descriptively captures the perspective of the slaves here. Quote, But in 1795, these slaves did not have the character which you've seen in films and novels of the South. They were not soft-spoken, brown-skinned people in drab rags who spoke an English dialect. They were Africans. And they were island islanders, that is. Some of them had come from Santo Domingo. They were very black and totally foreign. They spoke in their African tongues, and they spoke the French patois. And when they sang, they sang African songs, which made the fields exotic and strange, always frightening to me in my mortal life. They were superstitious and had their own secrets and traditions. In short, they had not been robbed yet of that which had been characteristically theirs. They tolerated the baptism and modest garments imposed on them by the French Catholic laws. But in the evenings, they made their cheap fabrics into alluring costumes, made jewelry of animal bones and bits of discarded metal which they polished to look like gold. And the slave cabins of Pont de Loc were a foreign country, an African coast after dark, in which not even the coldest overseer would want to wander. No fear for the vampire. End quote. Meanwhile, Lestat's father is dying quickly, and Louis begs Lestat to talk to the old man before he passes. Here, Rice makes a reference to Esau in the Bible when Louis takes the place of Lestat at the old man's deathbed. The story of Esau is one of deception and forgiveness. The father of Lestat wants him to forgive him for his abuse. In the last book, I talked about the vampire Lestat. Lestat's father beats him for wanting to join the monastery. The father punishes him even further again when he runs away with the Italian actors because Lestat wants to be an actor. Bitterness has festered in Lestat's heart towards his father, and he wants Louis to take his place by his father's side and tell him he forgives him before he dies. His father calls Louis, thinking he is Lestat, the Joseph of the brothers. Now the story of Joseph is another story of forgiveness in the Bible. Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And he eventually rises to a place of power in the Pharaoh's court and has an opportunity to punish his brothers but chooses not to, but only to forgive them for what they did to him. If the father says Lestat is the Jacob of the brothers, why does Louis not pick up on this that Lestat is not an evil being? Jacob was righteous in his forgiving. Maybe since the old man was dying that he was delirious in his speech. Rice also references Rumpelstiltskin, a story about power and greed. 
This may be to illustrate that Lestat is greedy in his withholding of knowledge of being a vampire to Louis. Three references here, two biblical and one fairy tale. Again, Rice has injected her own style of weaving religious stories into her story of forgiveness and family. The one reference to a fairy tale, a brother's grim tale, are usually dark in nature. Darkness, forgiveness, family, these elements are used in this story to reinforce the dynamics between the characters for the greatest impact of the reader. The Haitian slaves that work on Louis' plantation suspects the owners of being demons. When Babette rejects Louis and calls him Satan, it is an impression on Louis that he may be alone in this new life as a vampire. Louis torches the house on the plantation. Lestat is furious at this action. Louis' final visit with Babette proves to be heartbreaking for him. Lestat is stalking her, and Louis is trying to protect her from him. I think Lestat wants to make to take Babette from him to prevent Louis from making a mistake by getting too close to a mortal. Louis feels the most communication and connection to his mortal life through Babette. Babette almost kills Louis with fire. So, after this event, Louis and Lestat relocate temporarily in a Spanish hotel in New Orleans. One night, Lestat goes into the street, and Louis follows. Louis is hungry and comes across a child next to a dead woman. The child is sick. Louis ponders his moral dilemma. His self-hatred as a result of the encounter with Babette and his hate for Lestat has him in a strange place psychologically. He wonders, since he is evil, shouldn't he do evil things? But to mercy kill this child would not be evil and would save her a painful death and fulfill his physical need to feed. On page 75, after Louis throws down the child, Claudia, because he feels how strong she is, quote, she lay like a jointless doll, end quote. We will see this doll motif throughout this novel with Claudia. Lestat witnesses this feeding and mocks Louis by pointing a finger at him. A shocking moment happens when Lestat dances with a dead woman's corpse that Claudia was lying next to, obviously her mother. Even the interviewer gasps at this hideous act. Lestat suggests that he turns the child in, into a vampire because he leaves her alive and breathing, speaking to Louis. Louis fights Lestat viciously at this point. Lestat, feeling his need to provide companionship for Louis, has invited two prostitutes to their suite at the hotel. At this moment, the book is the most shocking to me. Lestat clearly has intentions of killing these women right in front of Louis. He kills one woman and begins mock-seducing and toying with the other woman. His behavior is outrageous, and Louis despises him for it. In this moment, there is an exchange between Louis and Lestat that is crucial to see how they see the world. Louis deepens his respect for life. Once he becomes a vampire, Lestat seems to be callous and embraces his ruthless nature, not caring for the mortal lives he takes nightly. Lestat, Lestat points out that Louis is an intellect unlike himself, who only listens listen to men and not cracking open books. Lestat calls Louis vain to hold on to mortal connections for they die a mortal death, unlike themselves who live for error, forever. It would cause so much pain to watch someone you love grow old and die knowing you would live for eternity. Louis sees himself as retaining his, his humanity and his vampire self, but sees Lestat as a cruel and ruthless killer who only mocks and berates him every day. Louis has the great flaw of not being able to leave him out right in there. After Louis kills the remaining woman, 
Let's not ask him for forgiveness, for bungling it. What a shift in attitude. Lestat really wants Louis to latch on to this idea of killing mortals, but Louis can bring himself to embrace this fully. Lestat is a terrible mentor, and I think he does this on purpose. Possibly Lestat is jealous of Louis' dark gift, the ability for him to retain his mortal soul inside his new immortal frame. Lestat gives out a piece of dialogue perfectly illustrating his amoral point of view. Quote, God kills, and so shall we. Indiscriminately, he takes the richest and the poorest, and so shall we. For no creatures under God are as we are, none so like him as ourselves. Dark angels not confined to the stinking limits of hell, but wandering his earth and all his kingdoms. End quote. Lestat now takes Louis to Claudia and makes him drink from her, and her drink from Lestat, thus making her a vampire. Louis screams, Damn you! to Lestat for doing this, and he calls him a bastard later on as well. After Claudio awakens from her mortal death, Louis calls her sensual. Now remember, these are vampires, not human beings. To call a child sensual is very unusual, but I don't think Rice is putting this word into a sexual context. I think it is strictly appealing to a vampire's heightened senses. A child vampire will be maybe something beyond beautiful to the vampire eye. The interaction between Rice's characters are complex and full of contradictions. Louis comes to see Claudia as a killer, but at the same time, she is sensual to him. Claudia becomes a fierce killer with a child's demanding. Imagine a little five-year-old girl who could kill you on an impulse with a child's impulsiveness on top of that. At one point, Louis describes her and Claudia as, quote, lover to lover, end quote. Vampires relate to each other in a loving manner, but can be very vicious as well towards each other. Lestat clearly is manipulating Louis by using Claudia to pressure him to stay with Lestat. He wouldn't risk abandoning this child to get away from Lestat at this point. Lestat also coaches Louis on how to raise Claudia in the vampire ways, and also does some hands-on teaching Claudia one-on-one. The three of them move to the Rue Royale Spanish townhome, where they both raise Claudia as a legitimate daughter of darkness. Claudia seems to stick close to Lestat in the first few years. It seems disturbing to me the image of a child able to seduce a stranger pretending to be lost and killing them to feed. Louis finds it deeply disturbing as well. He describes how she kills as more mindless than Lestat's killings. Claudia stays under Lestat's tutelage for all things vampire but has the intellectual curiosity that Louis has. She reads authors and new novels that are released from abroad. Is Claudia a symbol for both characters, as if they were to give birth to a child? Lestat finds Claudia's voracious appetite for killing amusing, at one point calling her, quote, merciful death, close quote. As time goes on, Claudia begins ignoring Lestat, and this drives him nuts, bursting into outrage. Then she gets careless and dispatches the maid and her daughter, causing unwanted attention by relatives of the victims. Claudia has grown mentally into a woman. This is where the troubles begin between the trio of vampires. She's very frustrated that Lestat will tell nothing of his background, or why they turned her into a vampire. Louis tries to speak to her in her frustration. She becomes demanding that she know who turned her. Louis wants her to remain his companion in mortality, and can't bear the thought of losing her if she left. 
how Claudia and Louis relate is that Louis teaches Claudia to see more of the world. Lestat teaches her to kill, but Louis teaches her to live. This is the heart of the bond between these two. If you put the context of book two, The Vampire Lestat, within the story, Claudia and Lestat really have the same motivation to seek out those who created them. But in this story, Lestat is not expressed in this way. Because, remember, this is Louis' story from how he sees things. If Lestat reveals origins of other vampires, which breaks one of the great laws, to, to his companions, then there would be no need for Claudia to grow closer to Louis. When Louis reveals to Claudia that he took her as a victim and Lestat gave her her vampire rebirth, she exclaims, quote, I hate you both, end quote. When Louis tells Claudia that he loves her with his, quote, human nature, Claudia tells him that they must leave Lestat. They form a plan to travel to Central Europe based on what Claudia has been reading about witches and vampires in countless books. She tries one last time to get information out of Lestat, but with no success. She reveals that Lestat killed the other vampire, the vampire that made him. And I wonder how could she have known this? Can she read minds, but on like a low level? It's not completely revealed by the author on how she comes to know about Lestat's maker. Maybe her dark gift is not fully developed because she is of a child's physique. Out of sheer frustration and agitation, Claudia tells Louis that she wants to kill Lestat. This frightens Louis and try, he tries to talk her out of this murderous plan. The extent of Lestat's power is unknown to Louis and Claudia. In a sense, Claudia spurs Louis to action with her suggestion to travel to Central Europe out of her curiosity to find more of her kind. But first, she will deal with Lestat, the monster. Claudia brings Lestat two twin boys for him to feast on. Little does he know that Claudia has filled them with absinthe and laudum. Laudanum. Laudanum being a very powerful opiate. As Lestat drinks, he exclaims that something's wrong. Claudia then slashes his neck with a knife. Lestat bleeds out on the floor. The horrifying image unfolded. Quote, the blood poured out of him, down his shirt front, down his coat. It poured as it might never pour from a human being. All the blood with which he had filled himself before the child and from the child and he kept turning his head, twisting, making the bubbling gash gape. She sank the knife into his chest now, and he pitched forward, his mouth wide, his fangs exposed, both hands convulsively flying towards the knife, fluttering around its handle, slipping off its handle, end quote. They wrap Lestat's body and sink it into the swamp. This is the one kill Claudia does out of hatred, a murder, pure and simple. Louis is sickened by what Claudia has done. Quote, don't come near me, end quote, he tells her. Then Claudia cries and pulls Louis back to her. Is this manipulation by Claudia? Or is she genuinely upset that she may, she may have driven Louis away for good? Her sobs are terrible sounding to Louis, and he takes her in his arms, and even against his impulse to reject her for her murderous act. Like a father consoling an upset child, Louis holds Claudia as she whispers in his ear, quote, free of Lestat forever, beginning the great adventure of our lives, end quote. Louis and Claudia begin their final preparations for, to travel abroad. One night, Louis wanders into a cathedral and reflects upon the fact 
that he is the only supernatural being existing in the cathedral. Louis also has a vision of Lestat's skeleton in the coffin, a macabre image within a Catholic church, a mark of the author's style. Also foreshadowing of what is about to happen to Louis and Claudia. When Louis attacks and kills the priest, I really question his morality in this moment. Was he trying to get answers from the priest? What was he trying to accomplish here with this kill? Maybe he was truly testing divine intervention here. That if there was a God in this world, would he intervene in this moment to save him, the priest? A vision of salvation he was hoping in this moment of his death act. Claudia now looks less human to Louis than ever before, more cunning than Lestat. He feels very disconnected to her than ever before at this moment. I think when she murders Lestat, Claudia becomes more monstrous in her coldness. She is heartless to anything mortal. She is only interested in finding her own kind now. A little New Orleans history is mentioned on page 153 with the old French city. I'm sorry, quote, the old French city had been for the most part burned a long time ago and the architecture of these days was as it is now, Spanish, end quote. Two great fires damaged New Orleans in 1788 and 1794. Both fires were devastating and the Spanish were responsible for rebuilding much of the architecture. Much of that architecture is very grand, like St. Charles Avenue. If you look at some of the more popular images on Google, St. Charles Avenue is where you see the uh, cable cars. Right there, there's always nice pictures of the cable cars right there in New Orleans. And it's usually on this road right here, I'm mentioning St. Charles Avenue. While in the townhome, uh, Lestat attacks Louis and Claudia. He has survived being dumped in, the, dumped in the swamp, but not unscathed. Quote, It was Lestat beyond question, restored and intact as he hung in the doorway, his head thrust forward, his eyes bulging, as if he were drunk and needed the door jammed to keep him from plunging headlong into the room. His skin was a mass of scars, a hideous covering of injured flesh, as though every wrinkle of his death had left its mark upon him. He was seared and marked as if by the random strokes of a hot poker, and his once clear gray eyes were shot with hemorrhaged vessels. Quote. Louis throws an oil lamp at Lestat and sets him on fire. He burns while Louis and Claudia run out into the street. This act of killing is simply a matter of self-defense on Louis's part. A second time a burn has been started by Louis in the story. They board the ship leaving New Orleans behind and travel to Bulgaria, where they find themselves in the countryside on their own in a strange land. The vampires come to an inn that seems to be boarded up, but full of people hunkering down, sheltering in place from the plague. I think this part of the book is illustrating how difficult the characters' search for their kind will be. In the end, they meet a man named Morgan who claims he witnessed the killing of a vampire by stake to the heart. Louis and Claudia are told the vampires the innkeeper speaks of come from the ruins. The two travel into the countryside and come across a dilapidated monastery and are attacked by a vampire dwelling there. An animated corpse, as Louis calls it. Not a vampire of worth, it seems. Morgan appears in the monastery, clearly bearing the marks of a vampire bite on his neck. Vampires once again, standing in a holy place represented by the monastery, macabre and salvation, contradicting images. Claudia attacks Morgan, but leaves him alive for Louis to feed on. Time is running out for Morgan. It is too late to save him in any way, shape or, shape or form.
Another missed opportunity for Claudia and Louis to kill together because they never do in the story. The duo return to the inn and claim victory over the vampires they dislayed. Louis worries that they were the only ones here in this part of Europe. Again, the feeling of loneliness seeps into his mind. Louis feels an intense moment of anger when Claudia offers her wrist for him to feed on since he missed his opportunity with Morgan. This must really weigh heavy on him to have a constant reminder of his guilt as his companion by him, but at the same time loving her and cannot bear to be without her. Louis is fed and he has a vision of a dark-haired vampire with green eyes. Is this Lestat or Armand he is seeing? The figure in his vision is holding a rat, more reminders of his guilt and his mortal self struggling with this new vampire existence. As they continue their travels through Transylvania, Hungary, and Bulgaria, they encounter pathetic walking corpses of vampires. The question of how vampires respond is presented by Claudia to Louis. Louis begins to think and has his profound thought reflecting on Babette and his bond to Claudia. Quote, You see, I didn't understand something strong in myself. Loneliness had caused me to think on that very possibility years before, when I'd fallen under the spell of Babette Frenier. But I held it locked inside of me, like an unclean passion. I shunned mortal life after her. I killed strangers. And the Englishman Morgan, because I knew, was as safe from my fatal embrace as Babette had been. They both caused me too much pain. Death I couldn't think of giving them. Life and death, it was monstrous. I turned away from Claudia. I wouldn't answer her, but angry as she was, wretched as was her impatience, she could not stand this turning away, and she drew near to me, comforting me with her hands and her eyes as, she, as if she were my loving daughter." Claudia continues to ponder how they are made, and Louis, with a mixture of a father's love and a partner's tolerance of her questions, looks upon her with a wonder of how they will live together without Lestat at their side. To Paris they go. Louis has this in his mind. How, were, how they were, quote, in search of history, not victims, end quote. As they roam Paris in its beauty, Louis begins to fear Claudia, afraid that she will morph into something even more monstrous than before. Louis wanders into the Latin Quarter while in Paris. His mind goes to Claudia and how he just wants to please her, and maybe he cannot please her. Then he comes across someone following him, another vampire mirroring his movements. This vampire is Santiago, and he seems to mock Louis by not speaking to him. Louis calls him a buffoon, and Santiago gets very angry at this. The two vampires scuffle, Santiago seeming to test Louis's power. A second vampire appears to Louis. Quote, I saw the barest gleam of light on the hair and then the stark white face, a strange face, broader and not so gaunt as the other, a large dark eye that was holding me steadily. The vampire is Armand. When Louis sees him, he calls him the, quote, auburn-haired vampire, end quote. Rice once again holds back on the reveal of who is important in the story or the central character of power. Armand gives him a card with the name Theodore des Vampires on it. Come to us tomorrow night, he says to Louis. The next night, Louis and Claudia attend the play at the Theodore des Vampires. The play is the coven of vampires hiding in plain sight. During the play, a beautiful woman is brought out onto stage and stripped down topless. Her, here, erotic imagery is on display as the vampires seduce the woman as they play with dialogue such as, quote, do you know what it means to be loved by death? End quote. 
The scene is described in lyrical detail. This is where the novel really shines with language, I think. It invokes terrifying and sexual images. It is both arousing and horrifying. Louis and Claudia look on with astonishment. Louis especially has a heartbreaking reaction to the display of vampiric feasting in front of an audience. He almost tastes her in the air as she is on the stage being taken by the vampires. Armand, always in the background, is the focus of Louis' attention now. He hears sounds like, quote, paint peels from the face of burning doll, end quote. A bit of foreshadowing here with the burning doll to what happens soon to a character. On page 231, there's another image of eroticism when a vampire comes up to Louis to offer his neck to him. Quote, I felt the hard strength of his sex beneath his clothes pressing against my leg, end quote. Death in a foreshadow, then sex a couple of paragraphs later. Destruction inside creativity. Contrasting themes here, as we see, as we read, are always being weaved within this story. This is very fitting with a central character who feels deeply in a world of darkness. When Louis and Armand have their first conversation, the first thing Armand asks is, how did you come into existence? Louis does not answer. He does ask if their power comes from Satan, and Armand answers no. Louis goes on to say that he does not have the emotion of detachment or unfeeling when he kills. Armand does not understand Louis' empathy towards the young woman he saw on stage during the play. All this in the context of their conversation about whether or not they as vampires are evil. Evil is the existential concept that Louis continues to question throughout this novel. His moment with Armand is what he has been craving and is something Lestat could not give him. When they meet with the rest of the coven, the vampire women are drawn to Claudia, touching her curls and admiring her dress. Louis is disturbed by this reaction they have to Claudia, and he doesn't understand why. Santiago exclaims that a crime has been committed, but he does not say who did it and what it is. Quote, it is to kill your own kind, end quote, he finally admits. Louis rushes out into the street with Claudia. I do not like them, Claudia says about the coven. Claudia becomes suspicious of Louis. Louis's new friendship with Armand is threatening to Claudia. She even admits, I'm in danger. I don't know why at this point Louis stays in Paris. I know he's got to pick up on this hostility, hostility he feels or is put out there by the coven towards him. I think maybe he has too much faith in that Armand would protect him and Claudia. Armand can hold him back somewhat, he explains to Louis. I also think Louis is so compelled by Armand that he can't leave. That maybe his journey would now be a complete failure if he leaves now that maybe he can get all the answers he's been searching for. Claudia's jealousy makes her bring the doll shop owner, Madeline, to, turn, to Louis to turn into a vampire, the doll seducing the cult doll maker. Louis is not pleased. Is Claudia being manipulative here, on purpose? She is acting like Lestat in this act of emotional blackmail. However, she displays her demanding nature when she yells, quote, give her to me. End quote, to Louis, compelling him to turn her into a vampire. As Claudia mirrors Lestat's behavior in turning immortal to keep her immortal partner, she has the emotional development of a woman, but has also the impetuousness of a child. There are many layers of psychology going on here within the dynamic of Madeline, Louis, and Claudia.
Claudia is extremely confrontational to Louis about what he has done to her by turning her into a vampire. To put this in perspective, when Louis turns Claudia, it was 65 years, 65 years ago at this point in the story. Well, actually, it was Lestat that turns Claudia, but this is how far down history has gone between the two. Louis resists as much as he can before finally turning Madeline. Louis does this act to protect Claudia and reassure himself that she will be okay in case the coven does come for him, or if he finds himself with Armand, exclusively. I suspect Louis feels this will happen above all else. It's not out of guilt he turns Madeline, but more of a guarantee that Claudia will be somewhat safe in the world. This could also be out of what Louis and Madeline have in common. Grief. Louis with grief over the loss of, of his brother Paul and of his mortal life and Madeline over the death of her child. The turn happens to Madeline in this way. Quote, she was staring at me, the blood staining her mouth open, the blood staining her open mouth, and eternity seemed to pass as she stared. She doubled and tripled in my blurred vision, then collapsed into one trembling shape. Her hand moved to her mouth, yet her eyes did not move but grew large in her face as she stared. And then she rose slowly, not as, by, as if by her own power, but as lifted from the couch bodily by some invisible force which held her now, staring as she turned round and round, her massive skirt stiff, as if she were all of a piece, turning like some great carved ornament on a mock music box that dances helplessly round and round to the music, end quote. This turn has taken the last shred of humanity from Louis. There is one more meaning of Louis and Armand in a tower where Armand discusses how Louis is now free from Claudia because she has Madeline. It's very interesting that they meet in a tower. Uh, the tower in tarot cards is commonly interpreted as danger, crisis, destruction, and liberation. Louis is about to see all of these things soon. Armand speaks about immortality and how most vampires cannot withstand the weight of time. The, quote, vampire of time, end quote as Rice references earlier in this novel. This is the moment that Armand reveals what he sees in Louis, that he has a value, his epic fall from grace, how he reflects his era of heartbreak. Armand also reveals to Louis that he used his mental powers to force Louis to turn Madeline. I would think Louis would be more furious at Armand for this violation, but Armand puts the blame on himself and convinces Louis that he is not dead inside like he thinks. Louis wants more time to be sure Claudia will be okay with her new partner. So Louis goes back to Claudia, and she tries to talk him into being with her and Madeline. She even asks if Louis knows what he is getting into with Armand. Maybe Louis really doesn't know. He hopes to understand what Armand might fulfill in him. Quote, I've caused you so much pain, end quote, is the last thing Claudia says to Louis and an embrace. Santiago and his coven attack. All three vampires are grabbed and thrown in a carriage, parked on the street. When they are brought back to the Theater des Vampires, the Theater des Vampires, Lestat is waiting there. This moment when Lestat appears is so brief. I wonder, the only reason he is here in the theater is to tell the, the coven that Claudia is the one that tried to murder him. Why does he even have to be present to accuse? Suspicion alone would be enough for the coven to act because Santiago is very suspicious of Louis. So I think Santiago really has added it, had it in for him 
since day one. This, to me, seems to be a weak spot in the story with Lestat showing up in the theater. Maybe Rice thinks Lestat's presence would be a torture to Louis, or maybe she wanted Lestat to condemn Claudia to make it more lyrical and plot. Louis is forced into a coffin with iron locks and bricked up behind a wall. Louis hears the screams of Claudia and Madeline, as he also hears the shuffling of the feet of the vampires from inside his death box. Armand frees him, and Louis asks, Where is Claudia? Lestat again waiting and telling Louis to come back to New Orleans with him. Lestat admits to being admits to being satisfied when questioned by the other vampires. Santiago is there, and others in the coven all staring at Louis. How strange. Louis cries when he finally sees Claudia and Madeline in ashes. They have been burned by the sun. The punishment for the crime has been carried out. I solely hold responsible. Armand is responsible for this, and so does Louis. Armand could have prevented this, and he could have stood up to Lestat and the coven. And because he, Lestat himself, is an outlaw, how can he demand justice? Louis is pushed out by Armand. He wants to get him away from the rest. Louis tells Armand not to go back to the theater. He then retreats to the cemetery at Montmartre, where he picks up a scythe. Louis is now death, holding the symbolic weapon of the Grim Reaper. He goes back to the theater on a rampage. He begins burning the theater, and Santiago confronts him. Louis slices him twice with a scythe, taking him out pretty quick. Louis tells the interviewer, quote, And they are the only deaths I have caused in my long life which are both exquisite and good, end quote. Louis finds Armand. He goes to the Louvre to lay down his soul after the death of Claudia and the theater burning. He simply, quote, forgets about, end quote, the human heart. Does this mean he no longer cares as deeply as before? After turning Madeline and his revenge killing, has Louis tempered his human soul in some fashion? I think he might have in this moment. Maybe this is Rice's statement on old age, how we lose energy and passion over time. We watch loved ones pass away. We see how people around us change, sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. We also see how the world change or doesn't change. Louis and Armand travel to Greece, Egypt, Italy, Asia Minor, wherever. Louis eventually journeys back to New Orleans where he finds Lestat with a fledgling. You've come back to me, Lestat says. No, Louis says in response. Louis forgives Lestat for condemning Claudia. Lestat is struggling to understand the modern world, and he asks Louis how he endures. He's seeking strength from his old companion. Louis has now found his own footing in this world. He no longer needs Lestat or anyone. When Louis leaves Lestat, he doubts Lestat will ever venture out into the new world. He is dying in his eyes. Louis tells Armand that he has visited Lestat. Armand asks is if he ever thought about taking revenge when he saw him. No, Louis says. Louis eventually leaves New Orleans to get away from Lestat from the memories of his life there. And here, Louis ends the story. The interviewer refuses to believe that the story ends in despair. He insists that Louis make him a vampire right then and there. Shocked, Louis says, What? Louis grabs him and bites him in a moment of anger. The interviewer blacks out and wakes up, pecks up his tape recorder and leaves. That's the end of the book. Now on to some symbols and themes. Um... All throughout the book, there is a doll motif associated with Claudia. And there's also 
religious imagery used to describe the female character as both mortal and immortal. When Louis drinks from her and feels her strength, Claudia, he throws her down and, quote, she lay like a jointless doll, end quote. On page 102, her face is described as, quote, doll-like, end quote. She is also described as an eerie cherub, an image, Im image of an angel from Christianity. The young woman in the play is described as having a face of a, quote, marble virgin, end quote. When Claudia brings Madeline to Louis, Claudia is described as, quote, still as a statue. Madeline, in her grief, designs dolls to mirror her dead daughter, and she sees this doll imagery in, in Claudia. I also think there is a theme of the failed mentor archetype throughout this story. Lestat not really guiding Louis as he, as he should. Louis, once on his own with Claudia, doesn't really manage her behavior as he should, but fears her as time goes on. And Armand, even though he seems to represent leadership because of him being 400 years old, is not really a mentor to Louis. He is more fascinated with Louis more than anything else. And I think this rhymes perfectly with the arc of Louis falling from grace. And here are some great quotes uh, picked out of the novel. When Louis is just turned, quote, The faces of humans passed me like candle flames in the night, dancing on dark waves. I was sinking into the darkness. I was weary of longing. I was turning round and round in the street, looking at the stars and, and thinking, yes, it's true. I know what he is saying is true, that when I kill, there is no longing, and I can't bear this truth. I can't bear it, end quote. Louis speaking to Claudia, quote, I cannot bear to lose you. You're the only companion to have in immortality, end quote. When Claudia plans to travel to Europe with Louis, quote, Ed thought her like Lestat, imbibing his instinct to kill, though she shared my taste in everything else, end quote. Louis seeing the woman in the play at the Theater de Vampires, quote, her beauty was heartbreaking, end quote. Armand to Louis, quote, I understand he nodded. I saw you in the theater, you're suffering, your sympathy with that girl. I saw your sympathy for Dennis when I offered him to you. You die when you kill, as if you feel that you deserve to die and you stint on nothing. But why, with this passion and this sense of justice, do you wish to call yourself the child of Satan? End quote. Louis thinking about Claudia, quote, her beauty burned into my soul so that I could hardly stand it, end quote. An example of erotic imagery when Louis is looking at Madeline, quote, I saw her now with that small enticing waist, saw the round plump curve of her breast and those delicate pouting lips, she never dreamed what the mortal man in me was, how tormented I was by the blood I'd only just drunk. Desire her I did, more than she knew, because she didn't understand the nature of the kill, and with a man's pride I wanted to prove that to her, to humiliate her for what she had said to me, for the cheap vanity of her provocation and the eyes that looked away from me now in disgust. But this was madness. They were not the reasons, these were not the reasons to grant internal life. End quote. After Louis turns Madeline and speaking to Claudia, quote, For you see, I said to her in that same calm voice, What died tonight in this room was not that woman. It will take her many nights to die, perhaps years. But what has died in this room tonight is the last vestige in me of what was human. End quote. Now, to the history section.
I visited New Orleans back in 1994 with my parents and brother as one of our family vacations. Uh, I remember the city being very alive with sights and sounds of some place very unique to the United States. This is a port city and there is usually a lot of diverse cultures and styles of architecture all throughout most of port cities here in the U.S. I felt surrounded by a history constantly. It was extremely hot as it is that time of year. Uh, I think it was in August. My first walk through Bourbon Street was a blend of so many styles of music just coming from all directions around me. There were blues, zydeco, country, rock, jazz, piano, horns, harmonica. No other city in the United States really displays its expression of the supernatural more than New Orleans. The allure of the city is said to be a legendary spell one woman, one woman placed on New Orleans, so anyone visiting once would be strongly drawn back inexplicably. That woman was Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, as she was called by the press. Marie Laveau was the daughter of a white plantation owner and his slave mistress. Charles Laveau was her father, an influential military officer in Spanish Louisiana. Marguerite Darkentrell was her mother, a Creole and free person of color. Now, when I speak of Creole as a people, I have to admit I did not know exactly what this meant when I first heard it. According to Wikipedia, Creole was a term used to mean those who are native-born, especially native-born Europeans such as the French and Spanish. It also came to be applied to African-descended slaves and Native Americans who were born in Louisiana. The Creole influence can still be seen today in New Orleans through its local traditions, architecture, and most visibly, its cuisine. Marie was a devoted Catholic and also a practitioner of New Orleans voodoo, or voodoo Catholicism, as it was called. The term voodoo basically means protection or spirit. Some of her voodoo powers included healing the sick, extending altruistic gifts to the poor, and overseeing spiritual rites. It is said that she was very active in helping her community in many ways, tending to ver veterans, taking bags of food to the poor, making rosaries, helping out in animal shelters, and blessing money to leave randomly around the city for anyone to pick up. I want to note the sight of Marie to emphasize the wholeness of her as an individual. It's also important to note that New Orleans voodoo has, a, has deep Catholic roots. One similarity is that voodoo ceremonies center around a pole or tree, much like a Catholic mass centers around an altar. However, a difference that separates voodoo from Catholicism is that voodoo believes in multiple spirits and not one center God. These spirits can be communicated with through dance, music, and chants. Maria is said to have learned her voodoo skills from Dr. John, a free black man from Senegal, a country in West Africa. He came to New Orleans after living in Cuba and was king in the voodoo world. Dr. John was very flamboyant and was very prominent in the voodoo community until he lost his property by con man. By the 1830s, Marie had risen in prominence in the voodoo world in New Orleans. 
She incorporated holy water and Christian iconography into her spell work. She gave consultations and held weekly ceremonies on the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. One event is a celebration of the summer solstice derived from a pre-Christian European tradition. Bonfires, drumming, singing, dancing, ritual bathing, and a communal feast were all part of this celebration. She also did monthly meetings in Congo Square. Now, Congo Square is an open space in Louis Armstrong Park in the Treme part of New Orleans, just across from Rampart Street, north of the French Quarter. This space was reserved for free blacks and slaves to meet in the 19th century. It is also known for African-American music history and jazz. A lot of musicians would play here and perform in this uh, Congo Square. Marie was also a hairdresser and would collect enormous amounts of intimate information on her upper-class clients to use at her discretion. This would make her seem ever-knowing and magical because of the knowledge she accumulated. In her later years, she stepped away from the leadership in the voodoo community and focused on her service in the Roman Catholic Church. Marie died on July 15, 1881, and she was interred in the Glapion crypt in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. She had a daughter, Marie II, but the daughter didn't really have the same impact as a voodoo practitioner as her mom. Some say her daughter tried to pass herself off as her mother, so to create the perception that Marie was forever young through her magic. Many tourists travel to Marie Laveau's tomb to pay respects. I think uh, if you mark three X's on her tomb, then your wishes will be granted. Her gravesite, I didn't know this, it's very interesting. Her gravesite is the most visited, second only to Elvis Presley's. Many voodoo shops and tourist attractions have pictures of her and her and books about her. A really good book to check out is titled The Magic of Marie Laveau by Denise Alvarado. This book really goes into her magic and presents Marie in a very positive light. If you ever get a chance, you should go travel to New Orleans. It's a very unique city, like I was saying. There's a lot of architecture and a lot of history to, uh, to take in. Uh, it can be very, be very hot in the summertime, so just be warned. Um, the Garden District is very beautiful. You can walk around and see a lot of homes. I think one of Anne Rice's own homes is uh, on the tour as well. Uh, of course, there's the French Quarter. Um, and it's just, it's very, it's a very beautiful city. It's unlike anything you'll experience here in this country. It has a very European flavor, feel to it. Okay, so this brings us to the end of the show. I know the history section was kind of short, but uh, um, I wanted to get something out pretty quick. I know it's been almost, I think, over a month since I recorded something. Next time, I'll be talking about Queen of the Damned. Um, this book's a little longer than the other two, so it may take me a little bit more time to get the next episode out, so just be patient with me. Until then, so long, people of the page.